horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks so much for joining us here on Winning Ponies. Glad you could make it. Uh, I've got some good guests. We're going to look at some great racing and recap uh, an excellent St. Patrick's Day worth of stakes races. Uh, Our first guest will be none other than Eric Hamelbeck. He's the uh, CEO of the National Horsemen's Benevolent and Protective Association. Most of you know them as the HBPA, well, they just concluded their national meeting in New Orleans. That's one thing I must say about the HBPA. They always find great places to have their meetings. Uh, And then they got a day off for St. Patrick's Day in New Orleans. I I thought every day was St. Patrick's Day in New Orleans, but Eric's going to join us. They they had some really good topics and some good speakers, so he's going to kind of recap what happened there. And then... uh, Speaking of New Orleans, way down yonder in New Orleans, at the fairgrounds this weekend, some great racing, including none other than the Louisiana Derby that holds a whole lot of points uh, for the Kentucky Derby, as does the twin-spired fairgrounds Oaks. So they will be back-to-back races at the fairgrounds. Excellent undercard, too. Uh, We've got the uh, Munez Memorial Handicap, named after Mervyn and his brother Ramon Munez, two guys that I got to know over the years that are just super gentlemen, nicest guys you could ever meet. Uh, This is their Memorial Handicap. And uh, then you've got uh, the... New Orleans handicap, bringing out one of my favorite horses, the player, who's trained by one of my favorite people, Buff Bradley. So Marcus Hirsch from the Daily Racing Form is covering all of these races. He's been down there for the whole season, so he's seen a lot of the races that these horses have had coming into this race. So it'll be great to get his uh, firsthand view of these great races, and I hope you have a slew of winners. Now, again, on cards like this, where there's a lot of uh, you know multi-wagering, uh, you're going to want to go into it with uh, all of your tools intact, which means coming on over to winningponies.com and pulling down the easy win forms. Uh, we gave out uh, winners from coast to coast last week. Uh at Gulfstream Park at a $1 Super 5 key that paid $3,200. And just north of there at Tampa Bay had a 50-cent try that paid $1,591. And then let's go out to the West Coast to Golden Gate. Uh, March 15th was an exceptional day for the easy win forms. Uh, came down with a 20-cent pick six. 20-cent pick six that paid $1,265. And on the same day, a $1 Super 5 that paid 1162 So pull those down and have a great weekend of handicapping. Have a great day of handicapping. Anytime you want the easy win forms will help you. All right, that kind of lays out the the show for this week. Uh, It was a very, very sad day in the world of racing as jockey Jose Luis Flores 
died today from injuries suffered in a March 19th spill at Parks Racing. He was 57 years old, the all-time earnings leader at Parks, uh, the 157th rider to die from injuries suffered while racing since 1940. If anybody says these guys aren't athletes, I dare them to try getting up on horseback and see what's involved in it and, obviously, the, the danger involved. Um, uh, now, just since 2008, we've had eight thoroughbred or quarter horse jockeys uh, that died from injuries uh, while uh, competing. Uh, had to hit the sneeze button there. Sorry about that, folks. Uh, but... Uh, uh, Flores was uh, just uh, an unbelievably consistent rider, uh, well-respected by those in the riding community. It was an on-track incident in which he uh, lost his life. Uh, he was in the hospital, but he was being sustained, and they waited for his family to come up to Florida on, until they uh, actually uh, let him go on to the other side, shall we say. He, he was a Panamanian rider, and he, he rode for four years down there and uh, came up through South Florida back in uh, 1987. He won uh, just short of 50 stakes races, uh, so he uh, truly will be missed, and uh, prayers go out to his family. Now, if you tried to bet Santa Anita today, nah, baby, now you got washed out. I don't know if you watch the national news or not, but mudslides are coming down all over the place. The heavy rain is ongoing, and obviously, uh, you know, the track surface, they've sealed it, uh, but the, they want to be very, very cautious. It's Even if it just stops raining for a little bit, they, they don't want to open that up because if they don't get it sealed in time, all that rain's going to get in there and go right down to the base. So um, we'll find out uh, if, in fact, uh, they're racing tomorrow. The, the national news, again, uh, did not look good. Now, they do say the races that they lost today, anyhow, they're going to probably add those to uh, cards uh, coming up uh, over uh, the weekend and next week. So they're going to try to bring all those races back. And one of my favorite riders and a great person himself, Rafael Bayorano. Uh, is going to be out three to four weeks. He had a horse go down with him and put his arm out, you know, to kind of break the call of uh, the fall. And uh, he suffered a radius fracture. The good thing is that it's not displaced, uh, but he will have to uh, miss uh, three to four weeks. You know, a jockey, his hands are uh, the ultimate uh, steering wheels, shall we say. And uh, so, Raphael, heal well, my friend. Um, how about this? Uh, the leading sire, Thunder Gulch, passed away. Uh, he died uh, at the age of 26 years old due to the infirmities of old age at Coolmore America's Ashford Stud. And uh, those of you that got to watch him uh, run will know that he was a tough competitor, a star of the 1995 Triple Crown races. He won the Derby and the Belmont finished third in the Preakness Stakes. He raced for Michael Tabor. Uh, he also won the Florida Derby and the Holy Race of Obligation, the Traverse Stakes. So he was named a champion three-year-old male in 1995 and was retired to Ashford for the 96 breeding season. And, of course, he, uh, he sired horses uh, like uh, Hall of Famer Point Given. 
Uh, he also sired uh, a grade one winner, Spain. He earned uh, over $3.5 million, Circular Key, uh, Tweetside, uh, some uh, really good horses. Uh, he also spent seasons in Australia, Japan, and Argentina. So Thunder Gulch, good luck up there in horse heaven. All right, Winks, we've been talking about this horse going for 24 straight over the weekend, and then the decision will be made whether or not to send Winks to Royal Ascot. They're really toying with it, but unbelievable. 24 straight wins, and uh, 17 of those were Group 1 races. Just unbelievable. What a super mare. We just don't pay enough attention to uh, the Australian and European race scene. And for those of you who are wondering, Whatever happened uh, to our Kentucky Derby winner last year? Well, next Saturday is going to be a huge day at Gulfstream Park with the Florida Derby. But on the undercard, it looks like Always Dreaming will make his four-year-old debut in the Grade 2 $300,000 Gulfstream Park Mile. So keep an eye out. Next Saturday, another good card. And, of course, uh, Kentucky Derby prep races. Well, uh, let's take a look at some of last week's results. Hope you got to see the Rebel. There's a new big player on the derby scene, and it's Magnum Moon, trained by Todd Pletcher. Now, Luis Saez may get the call down the road on the first Saturday in May. He's the only rider to have ridden this horse, and Magnum Moon remains undefeated. One at six furlongs, one at, at Gulfstream, at Tampa, a mile and 40, and now at Oaklawn Park, a mile and a 16th. So we'll see if he sticks around for the Arkansas Derby. Uh, that would seem most logical. And then Solomini, who uh, had to steady a little bit in this race. He, he came back on again, uh, but could not catch Magnum Moon. Uh, he was the favorite. And, of course, Solomini from the Baffert Barn. Flavian Pratt was in the saddle. The third spot, it was combatant. Uh, also at Oaklawn, just prior uh, to the Rebel, was the Azarius, one for older uh, females. The winner in here, Martini Glass. Man, what a consistent horse. 23 starts and 10 wins now for earnings of about $700,000. Trained by Keith Nations. Just coming out of the Royal Delta at Gulfstream Park. So Martini Glass uh, beats the favorite actress who made a late bid but was just no match for the winner. And then uh, a uh, race that did have uh, some derby points was uh, the Jeff Ruby Stakes. Of course, Jeff was our, our guest uh, last week, and uh, he, he was there at Turfway. He, he was hard not to find. You talked about his suits last week. He had a wild one on at Turfway Park. And uh, so the, 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 the winner in there was Blended Citizen, a son of Proud Citizen, who came in from the West Coast out of the Doug O'Neill barn threw blinkers on blended season for the first time and got the results that he wanted in the uh, second spot was pony up. All right. That's a look at some of the uh, race action from last week. Also a look at national news and we're going to take a little bit of a break here. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Eric Hamelbeck from the HBPA. You're listening to winning ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right. Well, you heard me tease Eric Hamelbeck's uh, resume Mm -hmm. at the top of the show. We do have him on. Uh, Again, the CEO of the NHBP, uh, the strongest uh, horseman's organization in the world. And uh, originally from Louisiana, he got to go back down (laughs) there uh, to the Crescent City. Um, Just happened to be that uh, the meeting was held in New Orleans, and uh, he... uh, Done with his business just in time for St. Patrick's Day on Bourbon Street. Eric, have you come to yet? Yeah, yeah. You know, John, it, it took a little bit, and uh, it was a, a long plane ride home. But uh, yeah, we had a had a little bit of fun Saturday night and enjoyed the festivities. And always good to be in New Orleans, and and uh, love being on Bourbon Street. That's uh, one advantage of going and graduating from LSU. I Got to visit there plenty of times. Oh, it's 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 like no other world uh, you live in. <laughs> I was lucky enough to uh, uh, be the PR man at the, at the fairgrounds for a meet, yeah. and uh, boy, I made lifelong friends down there. The people are yeah. just so genuine. I love people from Louisiana. But thank uh, you, thank you. That's a great state. Well, you, you've got a great resume, you know, f- uh, formerly with uh, uh, the Stronach Group, Adina Springs, and now you live in really one of the other coolest cities in America, and that's <laughs> Paris, Kentucky. I love that I place. Uh, no, I love the, it, too. Love just it too. to the north, I believe, you've got a little farm called Claiborne there in Paris, uh, <laughs> a little bit of legend there. But uh, uh, the, the HBPA cut a... Caught on to some really important topics. I mean, let, let, let's face it: this business that we're in is ever changing. Uh, with the uh, onset of uh, casinos, some tracks closing, some mm-hmm. opening, uh, uh, surfaces changing, um, medication rules changing, uh, a mm-hmm. lot of things that impact the people that you represent. But what we've got to look over our shoulder right now and realize that 
it, it, it could really be happening that uh, sports betting could be coming to a racetrack near you. And, Eric, how would that affect uh, the horsemen and potentially the purses? Well, you know, John, it, it is a very up-and-coming topic, and it's it's one with a lot of questions. And I think at this point, educating horsemen, which was my goal, and I had a wonderful moderator for the panel and Michelle Fisher with Sport Tech Racing and Digital. Sure, yeah. It was it was down to the wire as to how the panel was going to be presented because, as I'm sure you know, the Supreme Court could have made a ruling upon PASPA uh, as early as the beginning of March. They didn't and, and expected now to possibly be in the summer. But ultimately... You know, whether it's a full repeal of PASPA or a partial repeal of PASPA, I think there are going to be effects. And you see uh, as many as 15 states now that have bills already submitted, including Kentucky, that that address sports uh, betting. Who's going to govern it? Is it going to be governed by the racing commissions? And and how that's going to play out, and it's important that, that horsemen are advised and horsemen know that their representatives are going to be at the table. And, and in, and with this instance, one of the panelists, Alex Waldrop, you know, feeling very confident that, that his legislative affairs team are keeping a close, close finger on the pulse as to how it goes. And, and having Joe Asher there, obviously the, the CEO for William Hill United States is, I mean, it was amazing, uh, stars coming together to get this panel along with Dr. Jennifer Durenberger, uh, we had, I thought, um, from the panels I've seen on this topic so far, one of the best, uh, just from an educational standpoint and, and a scenario standpoint and making sure horsemen are aware that we need to be represented. And, you know, we can benefit from this. if You know, let them be aware that we have the template of how to do this. Um, the one misnomer that I want to make sure your audience knows, there's, some people think that it can't go across state lines unless they move into our Interstate Horse Racing Act, uh, um, our federal bill that governs simulcasting, and that's not true. Uh, they can set up shop. So, you know, there's a lot of education that still needs to be done, but a lot of things are going to be answered when the Supreme Court makes its ruling. You know, uh, it's got potential. Uh, for the racing industry, but it, it also mm-hmm. has some scary implications. That's true. I think, you know, a lot of people, is, I don't want to say make an assumption, but their opinion is the betting dollar is going to go one way or the other. Um, and I, I tend to disagree. I'm, I'm of the opinion horse players are still going to bet horses. Sports betting is still going to be bet by sports uh, sports gamblers, but ultimately, if there's a symbiotic relationship, what I would hope to to gain by by being at the table, so to speak, is that we are able to benefit from each other. Whether they benefit from us on platforms that that we have and the models that we have, uh, utilizing that and and or coming into our bricks and mortar, I think it can be beneficial. Uh, you know, I, I I don't want to compare it to the coupling with casinos, but but there is some similarance of that. You know, as 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 states needed a brick and mortar for a casino to be licensed, and it came into the racetrack, 
there are some there are some similarities to that, and hopefully, if if all done correctly, we can all benefit from it. Because, as as you well know, uh, Americans love to gamble, and that's one thing that uh, hasn't slowed down. Sports betting. Let's face it. Uh, if it if it came to a racetrack near you, I got a feeling that sure you love betting on the horses, but you might look up and see your favorite team, and maybe want to uh, put a bob or two on. Uh, you know, a, a football or baseball or a basketball game uh, that, that you're interested in. It would not surprise me. Like the question is, is can we get a percent? Uh, I, I was going to uh, digress a little bit. I, one statement that many people have heard me say many times uh, is that we all have to be ambassadors of the sport. If, if we're not going to promote the sport, and I'm talking about people like me, people like you, trainers, jockeys, everybody, you know, who's going to do it? And so I think it's important that we take ownership of telling people what a great sport we've got. And I know that was part of your panel, and a really good friend of mine was on there, and that's uh, uh, Tom Lamara, who's kind of, he's an award-winning writer, but he's kind of changed hats, and now he uh, works with the Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association, and I've had conversation with Tom, and he's like, yeah, John, it's really different kind of being on the other side of the door now, uh, and, and, and getting an up close look at what these guys do on a regular basis. Uh, so w- w- what is your feeling about uh, your, uh, you know, HBPA members being ambassadors of the sport? You're 100% correct. And, and when I started, uh, this thought process has been over a, a couple of different conventions, and it really speared uh, from brainstorming with Jenny Reese, who's a good friend, but also uh, a, just a wonderful asset for the Kentucky HBPA, the National HBPA. I know she, she does still work for Kentucky Downs and Ellis Park, and she's just amazing. But our goal was to make sure people are aware at this point, just as you said, we've got to take ownership of, of our industry, of our sport. We've got to promote ourselves. Luckily, nowadays with technology, we've got, everybody's got an iPhone. You can do it. I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing a good friend, Dale Romans, who I think his quote is, I don't know anything about social media, but I know that I need it. And that kind of mentality is, is what, what trainers and, and hands-on owners have got to take upon themselves to promote it and, and get the message out there. It's, I understand from a racetrack standpoint, racetracks are going to promote themselves, their marquee days, you know, their, their, their kids' day and their brunch. But we have to promote the industry as a whole and the stories on the backside and all the great things that we have to offer because there are some out there that just try to paint a negative picture, either for an agenda or, or, or misrepresentation. You know, there are negative things that happen in every industry. Um, but some industries are really good about talking about it behind closed doors. We have some who want to broadcast it in the media. Tom has been, you know, just amazing. He's been a friend for a long time when he was at the Blood Horse, was, was a great ally for me. Um, and now that, that we have him working for horsemen, um, regardless of the association, it doesn't matter to me. We all have to be in this together. And, you know, Michael Baitchalk, uh, who's, you know, won the 2012 yeah. NHA or NHC, 
uh, again, just a, an amazing communicator and marketer and, and understanding what we have to do. And we were very blessed to have a, to have a friend, Greg Bensel, uh, from the Saints and the Pelicans who, who works with the late Mr. Benson on, on GMB racing. He joined us on the panel and again, he, he gave a tremendous insight from what someone you might say a little bit on the outside looking in, but really works hands on with the communication and marketing departments for two, you know, obviously large organizations, one in NFL and one NBA that really gave some tremendous insight. And Pete Sakopoulos, the uh, equine attorney from Indiana, who's written some great articles that have appeared in the North American trainer magazine uh, on this very topic. And so when Jenny and I saw his piece, we were like, that's it. We've got to get everybody to understand that horsemen have to be citizens marketers. Uh, absolutely. But I, I've seen it firsthand, and it can work. Uh, when I used to be the assistant photographer down at Keeneland, uh, you, you would mm-hmm. see D. Wayne Lucas, after he won a race, seek out like an eight-year-old kid and say, come exactly. here, come here, exactly. get the picture with us, you know. And then when he ordered exactly. the pictures from Pat Lang, he'd say, Pat, make an extra one for this kid. And then Pat say, come back in 20 minutes, and Mr. Lucas has got a present for you. And there it's you just go. things like that. And the other thing I say is, is, is this, maybe not trainers as much because or people people that live in Paris, Kentucky, but Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll get in conversations with people that are like, yeah, you know, they find out what I do and they're like, yeah, I've never been to the racetrack. It's like, well, I'll tell you what, next Saturday, get get my car and we'll go to the, I mean, we physically have to put people in our truck or our cars and bring them down there. But certainly trainers have unique access because they can bring the person on the back stretch. Uh, you know, I've given Absolutely. tours where I've seen 75-year-old women feed a carrot to the horse for the first time. <laughs> Never did it in their life. And they like light up like a Christmas tree. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, we, we, we really need to take, you know, personal possession of it and, and actually do it. I know it could be a little bit of work on somebody, but I'll tell you what, the, the reward that you get for turning somebody on to our sport is so much worth it. It is, and that was always a really uh, passionate thing for me when I was at Adina, even way, way back in the 90s. Uh, I began giving tours for Toyota when they first came into town, and and they, you know, they'd start bringing the bus tours in, and and that's something I never stopped from the day I left as general manager. I mean, I loved giving tours because, just as you described, that that twinkle in somebody's eye, that you know, you can take them, walk them into a barn, and you walk them there and full out, you know, and and with a with a low number of people, give them, you know, thirty seconds to touch the horse. Oh my God! Right. You know, it was yes. You know, and that's. And I give a lot of credit to, and a little off topic, but but horse country here in Kentucky, trying to get that one-on-one personal feel, and that goes right in line with being citizens marketers. We we've got to bring them, bring them to the farms, bring them to the track, let them get associated with with the horse, and they'll be fans for life. Well, Eric Hamelbeck, I tell you what, I know there are other topics we hope to get to, but uh, my producer's telling me my, my time is waning with you. <laughs> uh, we, we wanted to talk about uh, you know some of the incidental drug transfer, for lack of a better word, that's being looked sure. into where you know uh, drug residue c- could come from a, a groom or something. Then, of course, who's just held responsible for that but the trainer. Sure. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a few other topics that, uh, that, that you touched on uh, during your, your meeting down in New Orleans. So all I can say is this. 
we've got too much on our plate. Promise me you'll come back and, and you know, c- cover uh, you know horse aftercare and the HBPA's concern about that. Um, I can speak for the HBPA in Ohio, and they do a great job supporting new vocations. But I could yeah. go on and on, and uh, but. <laughs> But my time is limited, but promise me you'll come back on and we'll hit some of those other topics, Eric. Absolutely, John. I think uh, the environmental transfer issue is something that, that we need to continue to talk about and, and make sure everybody's on the same page. So um, I thank you. I thank what you do. I I should I should bet your picks more from winning ponies. I know that. <laughs> Following you on Twitter, sometimes I get upset that I didn't put some money down, but... But no, I really appreciate you and what you do, and, and thank you so much for having me on the show, and I will I will do it at any time you ask. Okay, well, as long as you got Jenny Reese in your corner, I'll be on top of things. <laughs> I can tell you that. She blows my mailbox up every day. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, John. All right, we've been talking with uh, Eric Hamelback from the HBPA, telling us about the main topics on their uh, convention in New Orleans. And we're going to stay in New Orleans for the second part of the show because we're going to be talking to Marcus Hirsch. That's where he's camped out right now uh, during the summer months. I think he's up in Chicago most of the time. And uh, But the big racing coming to the fairgrounds on Saturday, and there's nobody that has their finger on the pulse better than the Daily Racing Forum's Marcus Hirsch. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and and with me now, world traveler Marcus Hirsch is with us. And one question I was going to ask him, uh, over the year, I see him 
covering races uh, across the pond, shall we say. And uh, so he is the uh, co-international correspondent for the Daily Racing Forum. And I always wanted to ask him if he just stays up late at night and watches those races or gets up early in the morning and then perhaps makes some calls and gets some quotes or if he ever really goes to some of those international races and uh during the break i found my answer uh marcus who i said was in new orleans i lied he is in chicago but he's on his way to dubai where there's going to be some big time racing over the weekend marcus hirsch welcome again to winning ponies hi john how are you I'm doing great, man. I left six inches of snow on my car yesterday, and I'm down here in Port Charlotte sitting in uh, shorts and flip-flops, so I'm good. Oh, yeah. yeah, there's weird springtime snowstorms buffeting the country. So how often do you get to go uh, cover some of the uh, racing in, in Europe and Dubai? Well, ironically, um, the closest races overseas in Europe, I, I, don't, I haven't gone to any of those. I'm uh, all of my whatever little knowledge I have of European racing is gleaned from afar because I I have never even attended a race in Europe. Um, but Dubai now I I actually have kind of lost track of how many times I've been there. I want to say this is going to be my tenth time. Wow! Um, and I've been lucky enough to go to Hong Kong the last two Decembers for their big races uh, in the second weekend of December, Hong Kong International races. Um, so that's been really cool. I can't thank you know the racing forum and the people who host the events enough. It's a great opportunity to see some really excellent racing and also get a chance to um, you know, get a flavor for different cultures. It, it, that, that's fantastic. Now, uh, if if you could uh, kind of paint the picture, you know, there's so much happening on our soil about this week in Dubai and how big it is. Okay. Well, I mean. Their season is winding down. This is, uh, that's going to be the last day of the regular thoroughbred season there. Um, and they start up in the fall. As you can imagine, it gets too warm uh, during the spring and summer and early autumn um, to, to realistically have racing. So they start up in, a, in like October, I want to say. Uh, and then the, the, the thing that we pay most attention to, the, the Dubai World Cup Carnival, which is the, there's racing that's every Thursday night, basically at Maidan race course, starting I want to say the second week in January with a couple Saturdays thrown in. It's a very limited number of race days for the, for the biggest races. They run for a lot of money. The lowest purses on those cards would be like 90 to hundred thousand more standard would be like 140,000 for like allowance races and stuff like that although they don't use allowance races. It's a total handicap system. And then uh, on World Cup night, I mean, I'm sure everyone has seen photos or videos or racing from Maidan. It's this palatial race course. I mean, it's, it's so big. I, I literally think there are places people have not even been to yet, even after several years of being open, um, up on like the seventh floor or something, dark corners that have yet to... Be trod by human feet. It'll be it'll be it'll be packed. Um, you know, there is going to be 15 American horses there. There are a lot of horses from Japan, especially for the big grass races. Uh, Godolphin, obviously, is the home team that's very strong. There are going to be several European horses of note racing there, including Breeders' Cup Turf winner Talismanic, who's trying dirt in the World Cup. Uh, we've got 
you know, the horse everyone thinks is probably going to be the best older horse, older dirt male this year in America, West Coast, who's going to be the favorite uh, in the World Cup, trying to give Bob Baffert a second win in a row in that race, and uh, and forever unbridled, the, the Eclipse Award-winning older dirt yes. mayor from last year who could be the first female winner of the World Cup. So uh, a, lot, a lot to pay attention to. The American horses are there, and uh, they are out of quarantine on Friday night and can train Saturday morning, so things are really going to start heating up. That's exciting, Marcus. It really is. Uh, before we get out of the races in New Orleans, I just want to ask you, what's it like being at a racetrack where there's no wagering? Um, it's a little bit odd. Um, they, they have something they call the pick six, which is like betting, but not betting somehow. <laughs> it's kind of like a, a lottery style. They, I mean, there, it's like legalese that would distinguish it from actual gambling, but it's definitely gambling. People can win. It's like, it's you win a prize rather than making a bet, I think would be the way to describe it. So they have the pick six. Every um, every race card there, and then uh, you know, to be honest, I mean, last year I want to say that my wagering account did not work, but two years ago it did on track, um, and it has other times too. And if you really want to get a bet down with a bookmaker um, on the race course, I have a feeling that is possible. <laughs> All right. Well, I just wanted to get your response to that question. Uh, so, uh, anyhow, you 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 got out of uh, the Crescent City uh, just in time, and uh, but I know you're down there. I know you're familiar with the horses. That and, and oh yeah, I, I I go like four times a year now. I was there for the Risen Star Card for like ten days before, and then a couple days after, in February. There in January, December, and November. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I do the handicapping every day. Unfortunately, and this is kind of a sore subject. I mean, I, I have done the analysis for fairgrounds for years, which I stopped doing this year because there's a, a bit of an issue between the racing form and Churchill Downs Incorporated pr- uh, properties. So, um, right. I still make picks every day. I I mean, I follow the races as close as I can, um, and uh, sometimes it doesn't do any good. <laughs> Well, uh, we've all uh, been in that situation. Uh, well, one race that you probably uh, have uh, memorized fairly well uh, would be the uh, Derby points earning uh, twin-spired Louisiana Derby. Uh, it looks to be a very interesting race. Now, uh, you talk about the, the, the Risen Star. I mean, that turned into a real horse race. And I have to say that uh, the, the ride that made well Mania uh, gave Bravazo was was awesome. Hard to believe he's at twenty to one. Every time you think D. Wayne Lucas doesn't have a shot, he'll surprise you. But uh, sad to say, Miguel got injured recently, and uh, Gary Stevens is going to ride the horse. But wasn't Gary Stevens supposed to ride him in the Risen Star, and he didn't? Uh, mainly correct. I mean, as far as opposed to, he was named on the horse entry time. They enter so far out in Louisiana and for the risen star, it was eight days out. I think that Mr. Stevens, and I did not speak to him directly, but I believe he had a commitment on a horse named Streamline who ended up winning the Bayacoa stakes on the same card. And so a couple, you know, a few days before the race, 
um, you know, also began looking for a replacement and got an able one in Miguel Mena. And it's just, uh, it is really unfortunate that uh, Miguel is not going to be able to take the mount. I actually just spoke to him today. Um, he's going to be out for a long time. He has a badly broken heel, which is going to take quite a, quite a while to uh, recover from. But Gary Stevens rode this horse in his, in his allowance race win um, at Oakland. And, and you mentioned the 21 to 1, John. I mean, that I didn't bet the horse, but I, it, it was too high a price, you know. If you look back and see that he was second in the Grade One Breeders' Futurity last fall at Keeneland, now he show and and it didn't end his year with a bang. He ran he ran way below his best form at the Kentucky Jockey Club, but then he had a pretty fast allowance race win, you know. And then there were no total killers in the uh, in the Risen Star. I think you know it's just one of those instances where he was overlooked by the betting public, um, and I think. Uh, you know, we see a carryover effect sometimes with horses like that, and I I have to think that you're going to get a fair price on this horse again. Uh, probably, probably will. Well, you saw the Risen Star, and you know we've got the, the uh, you know top three finishers and others in here. What we, what was your takeaway from that race? Yeah, well, I mean, the thing that people have have pointed out regularly and that was most noticeable is it was a complete parade the running positions basically never changed the entire way around and the track was fairly quick that day the opening quarter of 24 flat was especially slow the half of 47 and 4 was like 1.25 seconds slower than um, the same split in the Rachel Alexander stakes for three-year-old fillies which was two races earlier they really they really want a, a moderate pace and and between that and the fact that even though Fairgrounds has a, the longest home stretch in the country, it's not a track that's especially conducive to closers. You really want to be where you need to be at the quarter pole in dirt races there. And uh, factor, put those two factors together, and it really wasn't a truly run race, I don't think. I don't know. I just don't think also that, we, that there are the strongest three-year-olds in Louisiana this year. Time will tell, obviously, um, but you have much of the same cast back here, but you probably are going to see a faster pace, I would imagine, with the addition of retirement fund and, to some extent, Hinford for Todd Plesher and the uh, and the maiden, uh, Marmello, who's cross-entered in the maiden race but is expected to run in Louisiana Derby. Well, with that said... Um one horse that was not part of the cast of characters down there and is coming over from Oaklawn is the impressive off-the-pace winner of the Southwest Stakes, and that's my boy Jack. Is he the sleeper yeah. in here? Well, he's the morning line favorite, so I don't know how much of a sleeper he's going to be. Oh, see, Actually, I don't have any odds in front of me. <laughs> no, 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 that's all right. Yeah. I I just don't, I, I don't know. I wouldn't guess that he actually will be favored if I were making a line. He's, um, he's obviously a very interesting horse, um, not exposed really at all on, on dirt yet. I mean, I think the jury is still out in, in, in talking to trainer Keith DeSormo the other day. I mean, I think he was pretty upfront about feeling the same way. The reason, um, I mean, he was visually impressive in the Southwest and he beat combatant by four and a half lengths, combatant came back and ran pretty decent third in the Rebel last weekend. He was right there with Salomini 
actually headed him at one point. I think he's a legitimately decent horse. He just ran over him. However, it was a muddy track, and I don't think there's any question that the rail was absolutely golden um, on that card, the Southwest card, and, and this horse just skimmed along the fence, got through, and, and didn't have a straw in his path from post one. That being said, um, his sham stakes, his first race of the year, and, his, and a switchback to dirt, was actually better than it looks. If you, if you watch the race, he, he was really surprisingly close to a pretty solid pace early in that race and actually had to be kind of yanked off of it by uh, Kent DeSormo, and I, I think that his early exertions in a race he probably needed first time out of for the year compromised his finish. He, he almost certainly wants to be ridden more like he was in the Southwest. And who's really to say that it was merely the mud and being on the best part of the track that improved the horse? He, he showed quite a bit of ability on turf as a two-year-old, and he was running on turf because he was he wanted the trainer wanted to run in route races, and those were the first two-turn races available. So. Uh, DeSormo thinks that he's a real distance horse, you know, a mile and an eighth, is, he thinks will be right in his wheelhouse. He also was just really enthused about the way the horse has been working since the last start. Um, I think there's, I, like I said before, I think there's quite a bit of pace in here. Some, I've heard some people forecast it as kind of like a, a really hot pace with five or six pace elements. I don't necessarily quite see it that strongly, but I do think they're going to go a more legitimate tempo than they did in the Risen Star which would theoretically help a horse like my boy Jack, who, who I think has to be accorded a very decent chance to win. All right. We're talking with Marcus Hirsch from uh, the Daily Racing Forum. While he's going to be a world traveler this weekend, he does stay on top of the card at the fairgrounds. And a race that's had strong implications with the Kentucky Oaks uh, over the past, uh, oh, I'll say almost eight years, uh, has has been the uh, Fairgrounds Oaks. It really kind of mm-hmm. stamps uh, the three-year-old fillies. I don't have the list in front of me of horses that came out of here. Uh, I do believe Rachel Alexander was one of them. And, uh, but, uh, so, so anyhow, in this race, uh, it looks to be a, a pretty uh, – Evenly matched group. There's different angles in there, you know. Do, do we put a line through America's Tales last race in the Silver Bullet Day? Uh, I know uh, Wonder Godot gets backing in almost every start. A Mark Cassie trainee that uh, Johnny V's going to be riding. Uh, then you, you do have uh, uh, Calhoun's uh, Patrona Margarita in there. Uh, do you, you, and also coming out of the Rachel Alexander. Big question mark behind she's a Julie. And then uh, class act has speed, has the rail. Javier Castellano uh, is going to come back to town to ride. I was second in that Rachel Alexandra in front of Wonder Godot. Uh, anyhow, I just kind of try to paint the picture as much as I can that there, there's a lot of different angles in here, Marcus. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, but for me... I'll be surprised if either Classy Act or Eskimo Kisses doesn't win. And I definitely favor Classy Act. Um, I do. I think she's pretty good. I think, I mean, there aren't that many really fast three-year-old fillies this year. The division, as of right now, is pretty soft. And it wouldn't take a whole lot of improvement, in my opinion, for her to, to, to get right up with the very best horses, which to me are, are Monomoy Girl, the horse who beat her in the Rachel Alexandra, and Midnight Bisu out in California. Um, 
But um, her Rachel Alexander was probably a, a little bit better than the uh, – and I was good. The running line is good, and she got a good her career best buyer speed figure of 87, um, which is very high for this crop, really. I mean, only I think one horse has cracked 90 in a route race. Um, but more than that, you know, she, she broke slowly, John, in that race, and, and that kind of went – the whole plan went out the window there – the trainer, Brett Calhoun, has been trying to get her to settle down. She's been a little bit too speedy for her own good on, on occasion. Um, and they were hoping to get her to break and relax. But when she broke a step slow, you know, she just bolted out of there and put herself into the fray right into the first turn and ended up setting a, a very fast pace, 46 and 4 for the half, 23 and 2. I, the, even at the three quarters, it was more than a second faster than the the Risen Star. Just two races later, and also, you know, it was earlier on the card. But it was uh, to the half mile. It was considerably faster than older horses ran in the Mine Shaft handicap that card. So she went she went exceedingly fast for um, a three year old filly in February. And yes, she slowed around the turn and into the stretch, but. Uh, she held off everybody except Monomoy Girl, who had sat back and made a big run and sustained it, um, you know, and beat her, beat her fairly handily. But I think that um, if you look at her work since then, um, she's doing really well. I think that her speed figure from her allowance race win in January was a little tricky because the track was so exceptionally fast and she ran a very, very fast time. I think that she might have run even better than the number indicates there. And yeah, I think she's going to be formidable. I mean, she's kind of got to go from the rail, which is not ideal. And the horse you mentioned, John America's tail. If she wants to show her speed, she could make things complicated for classy act. And, and, and regarding that last race that you're talking about, the silver bullet day, she came out of that race, a sick horse and needed a couple weeks off. Okay. Um, so that's not a, uh, that, I mean, that's what happened there. It was a very particular thing. And she's got some ability, but I think it's a big ask for her to jump back into it at this level, having not run since then and getting over an illness. Uh, she might be better next time than this time. Um, so, yeah, classy act is tough. And then much like with my boy Jack, Eskimo Kisses ran a very impressive race in the slop at Oakland last time, and you have to decide how much the mud moved her up and how much she might just be an improving, maturing three-year-old filly right now who, who could really be getting good. I didn't see, looking through the charts and going through that race card, that there was the same sort of rail bias that we saw in the Southwest Day. could make the argument that it arose midway through the card because everything like the last five races was inside winning, but it was mainly logical horses. And if you watch this filly's race, once she gets through and really kicks into gear past the 316th pole, she puts on an impressive turn of foot. And I'm not ruling out the possibility that she's actually, that's who she is, that she's a good horse right now. Well, uh, just like D. Wayne Lucas, it's awful hard to totally ignore Kenny McPeak when he's in a big race because I've seen him pull off his uh, fair share of of upsets for sure. Well, I I know I only got like two minutes left, but a a race I wanted to touch on, it's not the biggest field, but there's some interesting horses in there, and that's the New Orleans Handicap uh, with uh, one of my favorite horses, uh, the player, and of course, a guy that's still on the racing scene, ladies and gentlemen, Calvin Borel. Uh, 
who's coming out of a win in the mine shaft handicap and got his uh, top lifetime buyer. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's all about the player for me in the New Orleans handicap, but he will, I'm almost certain he's going to be the favorite. It just depends on how much of a short price you want to take on him. I, I'm, I, I re- definitely respect Good Samaritan, who's listed as the 8 5 morning line favorite, and, and I uh, anticipate that he could have a really nice year, but he is just at a huge tactical disadvantage here as a one run closer with the player drawn on the rail and seemingly the controlling speed of the race, wouldn't you say? Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> I mean, he, no he doubt, no doubt about that. Mine shaft. Yeah. And, and you got, you got bow rail on the rail. So, uh, we, we've all seen what to go to get there. Yeah. <laughs> well, well Marcus, I mean, I think uh, that blinkers on really turned this horse around last time. And I, I think he's had a lot of talent all along and some horses really respond positively to wearing blinkers. I think that it definitely helped him. And, and I see him as being very difficult to get around in the New Orleans handicap. Great. Well, I'm glad you said that because I'm going to be pulling for him because Buff Bradley's one of the best guys in the world. Marcus Hirsch from the Daily Racing Forum has been with us. Uh, Marcus, I want to thank you so much. Uh, travel well over in Dubai, and I look forward to your reports in the Daily Racing Forum. Well, thank you, John, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. It won't be the last time, my friend. Okay, that was Marcus Hirsch. I want to thank uh, Eric Hamelbeck from the HBPA for joining us. And there was just so much ground to cover, actually, with both of these gentlemen that uh, I hope to have them back on and find out uh, about uh, even more of the the tracks they cover and uh, the the movements of the HBPA on a national basis. So uh, for my producer, Josh, I'm John Engelhart. Thanks for joining us on Winning Ponies. And remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.